0: good morning we're going to go ahead and jump right into our grace life welcome to all who mourn and need comfort to all who are weary and need rest to all who feel worthless and wonder if god cares to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Welcome to each one of you here. Welcome to those of you watching online. You may be a little more comfortable at home than we are in here today. The AC is trying. It's one, if you're from the deep south, it's one of those blessed heart moments. It's trying to catch up. So if you're directly under a vent, you may occasionally feel a little of cool air. If you're not, uh, sorry, hopefully it'll be better by the time we're done here. <clears throat> Let's read our scripture together today. It's Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14, Daniel seven thirteen and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed.
1: Good morning. How are we doing? Hanging in there. I'm going to come a little closer to you guys. I feel far away. If uh, if you need to like get up and walk around, go out to the car for a minute, get some AC. No judgment here. All right, just keep fanning away. It's okay. Um, the AC went out in our house this week too, so I don't I don't know. I'm just carrying around a curse. I'm sorry, but uh, Diane Hendricks this morning told me my job is to bring the heat. So here we are. Here we go. Now uh, I'll try to keep this as uh, concise and clear as possible. So you're just going to have to listen really fast. All right. Before we dive in, I'm really excited for this message. Um, we're just going to sweat it out together. We're going to nerd out together. It's going to be great. All right. But let's. Uh, before we dive in, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Even with uh, the heat and the uncomfortability, Lord, it's just a reminder of the fact that we even have AC in the first place as a gift and a blessing. So, Lord, may we be grateful for all the, the gifts you've given us. Uh, most importantly, your son, and that he came and he lived without AC his whole life, and he experienced all the, the suffering and the, even the death that we deserved on our behalf, Lord. So, may we look to him as our salvation, as our hope, and as our example. And may we just um, relate to all of our brothers and sisters around the world worshiping without AC every Sunday. Um, God, and I pray that we would just be able to focus for a minute on your word. And I pray your word would go forth and do its job. The power is not in me, it's not in us, it's in your Holy Spirit carrying the truth of this Bible Lord um, so we anticipate you to do a great work Lord we thank you and we love you we love you and we praise you God amen all right fill in the blank for me you can say it out loud first thing that comes to mind Jesus is the king son of God Messiah what else we got? Son of Man. Somebody's paying attention. All right. So what's really interesting, we are talking indeed about the Son of Man, this title that Jesus, believe it or not, he used this title to refer to himself way more than any other title. He used it over 80 times in the in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is really interesting. He, uh, even when people call him the Messiah or the Son of God, he doesn't deny it. He knows that's true. But in his answer, he still refers to himself as the Son of Man. And I grew up in church. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid. And this phrase always confused me because um, I knew about the Virgin Mary and Jesus had a human mother but not a human father. So I thought, Jesus isn't the Son of a Man this doesn't make any sense. I took everything very literally, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but our son, last night, we have a two-year-old son, and we were passing around like a little basketball last night, and Alexa, his mom says, keep your eye on the ball, and she threw it to him, and he caught it, and he puts the ball on his eye, and he goes, I'm keeping my eye on the ball. (laughs) Anyways, that was for free. Uh, I took, so as a kid, I took this phrase literally. I, I was like, Jesus is not the son of a man. So my dad, part of his job as a pastor, he was the principal of a school connected with the church. So he was my principal, K through 12th grade. And uh, he led the chapel services that we did. And one one day he just did an open Q&A and let us ask questions. So I raised my hand and I said, why is Jesus called the son of man? Because he's not, like Joseph wasn't his real dad, right? And my dad is like the wisest person I know. And he's probably the smartest person I know too. And so he gave this incredible answer that I I don't remember. I'm sorry, dad. (laughs) I I remember asking the question. I don't remember what he said. Uh, So here we are. I probably got distracted by the cute girl in the next row. Her name was Alexa, don't worry. (laughs) We go way back. Yeah, we go way back. Anyways. So I asked this question, and here we are. I, I decided to dive into it again to see why Jesus likes this title so much for himself. And man, the more I dig into this, spoiler alert, this book has some really incredible answers. Um, man, the, when, just when we think we've reached like the depths of what this Bible has to say, it's like we notice a deeper cavern that we can spelunk down to. And it's, it's just so full of beauty and deep truths. And we don't worship this book. We worship the God it points us to. But the fact that it's so intricate and amazing just reflects the God it's telling us about. So I'm excited. We're going to get a little bit nerdy. There's a lot of Bible on these slides that you'll see. But I know you can handle it. It's going to be awesome. Son of Man. Here we go. You ready? All right. It's an, it's, this is an incredible title. Jesus is like... A ninja with words. So, if you were a Hebrew and Israelite living in the first century, when Jesus lived, you would hear this phrase, son of man, and it just meant human. It was just another way to say human being. So like for us today, it would like us saying homo sapien, or uh, a guy, or an earthling. It's just, it means human on one hand. Okay? The Son of Man is just another way to say human being. But any good Hebrew Bible nerd of the first century would also hear this phrase and think of a certain passage in the Old Testament that we just read, Daniel chapter 7. One, like a Son of Man, came and was presented to the Ancient of Days. So when Jesus uses this phrase, on the one hand it just means, I'm a human, on the other hand, there's this divine overtone, this divine aspect from Daniel 7. And what he does, which is so cool, is he forces his listeners to choose. Which one are you going to believe that I am? Am I just a regular guy, or am I the Son of Man from Daniel 7? So we're going to dive into that passage and take a look. So, there's a whole backstory to the Son of Man and we're going we're gonna to see three things this morning. Just three quick observations to this whole title so we can get the full meaning of what Jesus is trying to tell us when he calls himself the Son of Man. So first, claiming the throne falsely. That obviously doesn't apply to Jesus. We'll see some other people who try to claim the throne. Number two, winning the throne definitively. That is Jesus. Spoiler. Number three, sharing the kingdom eternally. So claiming the throne falsely, winning the throne definitively, and sharing the kingdom eternally. So let's set the scene of Daniel 7. The book of Daniel, it's full of stories that we're familiar with. In chapter 7, Daniel's having a vision. He's having a dream at night, and the first eight verses, you may be familiar with this, there are these like crazy, deformed super beasts that are all like fighting each other, killing each other off. One is like a leopard with eagle's wings, the other is like a lion, and, and they're just like taking each other out. And we learn later that these represent human kings and human kingdoms, okay? So we have like gross, deformed beasts that represent temporal, short-term kings. Then in verse 9 and 10, we see the real king show up, okay? So let's check out verse 9 and 10. Can you guys see that? Yeah? No? Okay. Okay. Here we go. I'll read it from the, from the Bible. So we have the super beast. They're killing each other off then. Verses 9 and 10, it says this. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. So the real king shows up and takes his seat. What's really interesting here, and we won't dive all the way into this, but just I've kind of emboldened the word thrones, plural, which is just something to point out that there are multiple thrones, but only one ancient of days, that's Yahweh, the God, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He comes. And he takes his seat. So there's at least one other throne that's empty, okay? We can argue about who those thrones are for. Not today. We can grab lunch or something if you're into that. But we know there's at least one empty throne, maybe more. So I'll, i just point just point that out to get us to this question. I think it's a helpful question to frame this discussion. Who is worthy to take up a throne with the Ancient of Days? Okay, that's a question we're going to look at. Who is worthy to fill in this other throne or these other thrones around him? That's what we're going to try to answer. And then Daniel 7, it shows us who. The, the passage, we'll read it again, that Mike read for us. This is our passage for today. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So whoever this human is, this son of man, apparently he's worthy to take up this throne. So the question is, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Who is this Son of Man? Who is worthy to take up that throne? So, first point. We're going to see first who's not worthy to take up the throne. And like I said, obviously claiming the throne falsely, that's not about Jesus. His claim to the throne is true, right? But the book of Daniel shows us several failed attempts to claim this throne. The book sets up Daniel 7 incredibly. But before we walk through Daniel really quickly, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1. If I can pull it up, is that it? Yes. Genesis 1. God creates humanity. Adam and Eve, right? And this is his charge to them. He says, for God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Check this out. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what was humanity's job? We were supposed to rule over the earth on God's behalf. The ES, I used NIV because it says rule over. The ESV says have dominion. It's all this kingly language if that's a word, I don't know if kingly is a word, but we, our job was to rule over. We weren't on the same level of God, don't get me wrong, but we were created in his image to rule over this earth. But we know how the story goes, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they get a little big for their britches, they think that they can elevate themselves to the same plane as God, the serpent comes and says, don't you know you will be like God if you eat this fruit, the knowledge of good and evil? The irony is they're already in the image of God, right? But the serpent says, no, you can get even higher. Go ahead, eat this fruit. And they did. And what resulted was sin, curse, death, the situation we find ourselves in today. So ever since this Genesis 3 fall, every human being, including myself and you, every one of us has made this false claim to the throne. Whether it's claiming it for ourselves, thinking we deserve up there, or we put something other than God up on this throne. These are all false claims, and they all end in failure. So there's, uh, just to ch- help, try to help illustrate this point, has anyone heard of Anna Delvey? No? Oh, great. Incredible story. Her real name is Anna Sorokin. There was uh, an article, I think it was like New York Times or one of the New York magazines, posted this article about a girl named Anna Delvey who claimed to be a German heiress who had access to millions of dollars, a trust fund from her dad. And what she did was, through this false alias, she weaseled her way into, like, the elite social class of New York City. And she hung out with all the rich and the famous and the influencers. She, uh, she almost secured a business loan for $22 million. She was like this close, and then thankfully the bank did uh, some more research and found out she didn't have the cash to back it up. But she, through all of her um, efforts, uh, defrauded different banks and hotels and out of $275,000, because she claimed to be somebody that she wasn't. But what's really interesting, if she would have just gone to New York City, and lived life as a normal girl, uh, she probably would have been just fine, right? But instead, she tried to hoist herself up, a status above where she actually was, socially speaking, and instead of getting up there, she uh, ended up in jail, right, because of all the, the crimes, all the defrauding and everything she did. She made a false claim, and the irony is it actually made her end up lower than she was in the first place. Incredible, interesting story. Go read about it. True. It's very true. All that to say, we'll see in Daniel 7, I mean not Daniel 7, the whole book of Daniel, when human beings try to claim the throne that only God deserves, we actually end up behaving like animals. We behave as less than human. So Daniel 3, you guys know this story. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant golden image, and he tells the whole kingdom to bow down and worship, right? You guys remember this one? There we go. Sorry, this is falling off. Too sweaty. All right, he builds this golden image. He tells everybody to worship it. He, he does, he makes a false claim for this golden image on the throne of God. Everybody bows down and worships except for three guys. You know who they are? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happens to them? They're thrown into a Fiery furnace, yes. Then they're rescued. There's a fourth guy in the fire, one who appears like the son of God, and they're miraculously saved, and they're rescued. So King Nebuchadnezzar, false claim to the throne for this golden image, behaves like an animal by throwing human beings in a fiery furnace, just killing them like it's nothing, but they're rescued, and he comes to this realization. We're going to see three different episodes where these temporary kings come to the realization that they're not it. They don't deserve that ultimate throne. So in Daniel 4, verse 3, this is Nebuchadnezzar's response after he sees the salvation from the fiery furnace. If I can find it. Daniel 4, verse 3. He says, How great are his signs, talking about the Most High God. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. Listen to this. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. In the same chapter, chapter 4, the same king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's walking on his palace, and he says to himself, look at great Babylon. Look what I've built for the glory of my majesty. So he didn't learn for very long. Instead of putting the golden image up there, he decides to put himself on this throne with the Ancient of Days, and God humbles him. You may know the story, too. He's forced to live like a beast for seven years. To eat the grass, he grows crazy hair and like long fingernails. It's, it's insane for seven years. After seven years, he wakes up. This is his prayer. Chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. He says... Similar prayer, right? Sounds very similar to his last one. Then chapter 6, last, last example. You know this story too. King Darius, a new king, same problem. He decides to elevate himself to the throne. He forces the whole nation to pray to him alone for 30 days. You can't pray to any other god for 30 days. Everybody obeys except for one guy. Who was it? Daniel, the author of this book, Daniel does not stop praying to the Most High God. What's his punishment? Lion's Den, the king says, All right, you're done, throws him in the lion's den. He's rescued miraculously. And then here's King Darius's response. In chapter six, this is right before our passage in, in chapter seven. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal, royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So they all have like the same response. They realize I am not this eternal king. My reign is like this small and lasts this long. I'm just a temporary small king, but there is a king whose kingdom lasts forever. And so we're going to see that this son of man is the king that reigns forever. So the, the stories that we see, like Anna Delvey, these attempts to push ourselves higher, they always end in failure. The irony is they're human beings, but they start acting like animals. They, they throw people in fiery furnaces and in lion's dens as if it's nothing. And they start to be driven by just their fleshly desires and primitive instincts for power and security. And they actually degrade themselves in an effort to raise themselves higher. And this isn't something that just affected kings back then. This is something that we still see today and in 2022 we think or we like to think that uh we can just grow past this as a human race we can just evolve past these animalistic behaviors Um, but we can just look around and see that's that's not true because it's not a evolution problem it's not a maturing of the human race problem it's a sin problem and it didn't just affect those kings it affects every single one of us right That's why in 2022, we still have Vladimir Putins in the world. We still have racism. We still have mass shootings. We still have domestic abuse and murder and slander, theft, betrayal, infidelity. The list goes on. Because when we elevate ourselves to the throne we can't take, we don't have the cash to back it up, what ends up happening is we start behaving in these terrible ways. This is the human condition. So the question is, how do we fix it? What do we need? All right, we track tracking so far. We have, I need a drink. It is uh, our plight that we're here and we want to be here, right? And where do we end up? We end up behaving as if we're down here. So what do we need? We need a good, true ultimate human king this son of man that we see in daniel 7 because he will not start acting like a beast in order to elevate himself he'll act like humans were supposed to act before the fall to rule well with god to stand we need a a human king to come and stand in our place and do what we couldn't do so who is this guy moving on point two thank you for listening quickly Winning the throne definitively. Enter Jesus into the scene, and he, claim, he comes claiming to be the Son of Man from this Daniel 7. And like I said, on one hand, he's a, a human being. He was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, a small town that nobody cared about. Trained as a carpenter under Joseph. He had brothers and sisters, just like on the surface, a normal dude. But then he starts making these claims that he is the Son of Man, that he's more than just a human. And he doesn't just start making claims, he starts doing stuff, performing miracles, healing the sick. And so we see that there's something different about Jesus. And we know he is more than just a human being. We know he is God come down in the flesh. So let's see how this Son of Man wins the throne. Does he come and build a massive army? Does he come and just kill off all the bad guys? Does he use just violence and brute force? Does he trap everybody in a room and turn off the AC? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Let's see how he, how he comes, the son of man, how he wins his throne. This is incredible. Mark 10, 45. I'm gonna read some, some pretty popular sayings of Jesus. And if you're anything like me, you've just kind of glossed over the fact that he uses the phrase Son of Man in these, but it's very significant. Mark ten forty-five. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Sounds like the opposite of Daniel 7. In Daniel seven thirteen and 14, he is being served by everybody. But Jesus says, the Son of Man comes not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many what is going on that's not what Kings do mark 210 the Son of Man has authority on earth there we go to do what to forgive sins Luke nineteen ten. the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost mark 831 this one's ridiculous the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And after three days rise again, Peter, at this point, has just had enough. And he rebukes Jesus for this one. He's like, Jesus, no, this is not, that's not you. That's not supposed to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you don't know what's going on here. Matthew 25, 31, the Son of Man will come in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. There we go. That sounds like Daniel 7, right? But then, like 10 verses later, in 26.1, he says, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. What is going on? Did you know that his claim, what actually finally got Jesus killed, was claiming to be the Son of Man? When he was before the chief, the chief priest, he was asked, are you? He said, uh, he was accused, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you've said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, finally, this is straight out of Daniel 7. The Son of Man riding on the clouds, seated at the right hand of God. But this, the crazy thing is, Him saying this doesn't result in a king's throne, it actually results in a criminal's cross. So, what is happening? Does Jesus have it all wrong? Did he forget what Daniel 7 actually meant? So you see sinful human kings, they throw people in fiery furnaces and in lion's dens to keep their claim of the throne. But the perfect human, the son of man, he does it a little bit differently. The true God-man has a unique throne. And we know that Jesus is God himself in all his fullness. And this God-man, the Son of Man, he doesn't torture and kill others. Instead, he is tortured and he is killed on behalf of others. This is the incredible thing about the Son of Man. How does he win the throne? See, our God rules differently than what we're used to with, with ourselves and with human kings and kingdoms. Instead of violence and brute force and power, he, he rules with truth and love and grace and self-sacrifice. And it's scandalous and it sounds too good to be true. But it is true. The Son of Man's path to the throne is through suffering. And check this out. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write about his trial and his crucifixion as if it's his path to the throne. This is incredible. In John 19, we'll read this together. Look at all the kingly language in here. I'm just sticking with that, even if it's not a word. Kingly. John 19, 1 through five. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, suffering, torture, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. I put the wrong verse up there, didn't I? There it is. Crown, purple robe, king of the Jews. They think they're mocking him but they're actually enthroning the true king. And Pilate says, behold the man, the perfect human one who's doing what we could never do on our behalf. See, the the crazy thing is our savior, Jesus, the son of man, he takes the weapons of sin and death, the worst that they've got. He points them at himself, takes it all, and then he robs it of its power he flips it on its head. To illustrate this, this, this might be a stretch, but I'm gonna, it was the only thing I could think of to illustrate this point. So also when I was a kid, I was flipping through cable and came across the movie, Eight Mile. Any, M&M, anybody? Melissa, she's she, <laughs> talking about Eminem and m in church. All right, here we go. We're already sweating, so we're good. This movie, Eight Mile, don't go watch it don't. I watched it on cable, so like, you know how it's like the terrible edits of language and stuff? Anyways, I can't remember my dad's answer in chapel, but I remember this movie like so well. (laughs) In, In Eight Mile, this Eminem plays this character who's trying to make it in the rap scene, right? And so what you do is you do these freestyle rap battles, and you're just calling each other out. Really, your whole point, your mission is to just insult the other dude so bad that you win this rap battle okay in the pinnacle of the movie the climax we have Eminem I think his rap name is like bunny hop or something cuz he raps so fast something you guys I've lost half you guys anyway so there's this rap battle okay And Eminem he goes first and instead of insulting this guy and calling him out he insults himself the whole time He takes all the worst insults the other guy could have said about him and he just says it first. It's really interesting. And then the other guy, it's his turn to go and he has nothing left to say. He doesn't know what to do. Because Eminem or Bunny Hop, whatever, stole his ammo that he would have had and just used it against himself and by doing that actually wins the battle. If that made any sense to you, if it didn't, just throw it out. Okay. Jesus... I can't believe I'm comparing Jesus to Eminem. (laughs) Jesus, in a much more glorious and righteous way, steals the power of the weapons that sin and death had. He takes it, he points it at himself, he takes it on, and he says, what else you got? I took it all on. You thought you were going to kill me with this stuff? But I took it, I did die, but does he stay dead? No, he rises again. And with that, He neutralizes any power that the weapons of sin and death have. He flips it on its head. He uses it to work against itself. So the Son of Man, all of us, right, we're here. And we try to elevate ourselves here. Where do we end up? We end up living as less than what we could. What does Jesus do? He's already here. He deserves that throne before he ever comes down but he humbles himself and then in the end is exalted. Okay? That's what Jesus did for us. He humbled himself, flipped the kingdom upside down, and rescues us. And that is how he's glorified and elevated. And through that, through his resurrection, that's his seal of victory, he puts all false claims to the throne to an end. We have... Nobody else can claim this throne. He has sealed it, won it forever. It's over. And he gets all the power and the glory and dominion that we see in Daniel 7. But last point, this will be a short point, I promise. And we can go outside and keep sweating. (laughs) There There will be no relief when you step out, I'm sorry. Final point, all right, here we go. Jesus, the Son of Man... He wins the throne by flipping it upside down. He humbles himself and then is elevated and glorified. He gets all the power, dominion, glory, but he doesn't hoard it to himself. He shares his kingdom. This is, this is incredible. He shares the kingdom with the lowliest of the low, with the humble and the meek. In Daniel 7, so this whole image of the Son of Man is in a dream. It's in a vision. And thankfully, we have an interpretation in Daniel 7 of what it all means. So Daniel 7, 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. He has to say it three times, like this is never going to end, forever, forever and ever. And in verse 27, he says this and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? The people of the saints of the most high. He shares it. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So here's the last question we have. How do we get in on this? How can we share in this kingdom? How can I be one of those saints? What do I have to do? How do I get in on this? And don't worry, anybody can get in on this. Check this out. Last verse we're going to read. John 3. The most famous verse in the Bible is tucked in to this passage, and it's amazing. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he says, we're going to start in verse 13, actually. Yeah, John three thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. Who is that? the Son of Man. Jesus, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, he's talking about the cross, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, or He loved the world in this way, that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8, we've been talking about, there's therefore now no condemnation. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Son of Man is the Son of God. And whoever believes in Him, you can share in His kingdom forever, eternally. And what's crazy is (laughs) Jesus dies for the very ones that were claiming the throne to be their own. We were saying, that throne's mine. And it was a false claim. We didn't have the cash to back it up. But Jesus says, I see you. And you are an enemy, you're claiming the throne that only belongs to me, but even while you're still an enemy, I'm going to die for you. That's what the Son of Man came to do. So now, when we believe in Him, we're a part of this kingdom that goes on forever, forever and ever. And it's an upside-down kingdom where the first or last, the last or first, the greatest among you shall be a servant. So, last thing. Some of you, if you're a practical person, you might be thinking, what? This is cool. We can like nerd out with the Bible and trace this through. But what does it have to do with my Tuesday afternoon? What it, like, who cares? The Son of Man, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. How does this change the way we live? These truths. If you are already believing in Jesus, you're a part of this kingdom. And our job is to spread this kingdom. And we reflect this perfect human, the Son of Man, by laying our lives down for others as well. Because we've been freed from our sin. So we actually now have the power through the Holy Spirit to say no to the temptation to claim that throne. And we can actually humble ourselves and serve others and love others the way that Christ did. We don't have to act below our calling to act like animals, we can actually step into the calling that God has given us to spread His rule and His kingdom. So, very practical. Something we can do this week to seek to reflect the Son of Man, to seek to spread this kingdom. What if we all drove up to work or if you work from home, just roll out of bed and fall into your office chair. What if we, when we enter that moment that scene what if we prayed god may i enter this workplace not to be served but to serve or what if we we get home from work to our spouse and our kids and we say god may i enter this home not to be served but to serve i mean that could radically change the way you step into different scenarios and we can better reflect our king the new kingdom So, our Savior, the Son of Man, has removed the power of sin and death for us. And one day, the Son of Man is coming back. That's a whole other sermon. He's coming back. And He's going to remove the presence of death and sin as well. And listen, if you're not, if you don't know where you stand with this King who rules in a totally different way, then all, all you have to do like John 3 told us, just believe in him. It is not too good to be true. It is true. He invites you in. Just believe in his name. He welcomes you. Anybody can get in on this. The kingdom, the invitation is open for you. So when we hear Son of Man, when we look at Jesus saying this title for himself, we look at him as the perfect human one who is God in fullness who came, who rightfully takes the divine throne, not through power and force. It is through power. It's just a different expression of power. Not through violence and force, but through self-sacrifice and love and grace and mercy. That's the God we worship. That's the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, I pray we would go from here and reflect who you are. That we would live in your power, God. Thank you for humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. To die the death that we deserve to submit yourself when we did not want to submit to you. We were claiming the throne for ourselves, yet while we were enemies, you still died for us. Because you loved us. And I pray that we would receive that love, Lord. And that we would live it out that it would just overflow out of us, that we would go into our week not to be served, but to serve. Because we have your power and your freedom to say no to that temptation, to try to sit on the throne of our lives. We can submit to you. We can humble ourselves before others out of love and out of grace that you've already given to us, Lord. So I pray, God, if there's anybody in here who is not a part of this kingdom? That you would just open their hearts to receive you, and that they would experience this new and fresh reality of grace and of love, Father. Lord, I pray all this in your name, Amen. We're going to sing a song of reflection. We call it our Selah song. Um, if you need prayer for anything, if If you want to be a part of this kingdom, we will have a a prayer team in the back. You can find them. They'll pray over you. They'll pray with you. We just want you to know the invitation is open. And I pray that we will all live in reflection of the Son of Man this week. Before we sing this song, before I forget campers and parents, we will have a meeting right in here. We'll come to this front middle section. It'll be quick, I promise. We'll get out of here, get some AC. Um, thank you guys for enduring the heat. All right, let's let's worship.
2: it's on who was and is and is to come with all creation i sing praise to the king of kings you are my everything and i will adore you
3: amen lord we praise you and we cry holy 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 you are worthy of praise, Father. You are highly exalted and worthy of all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Time for a few announcements. I know you're as excited as I am. I'm excited about the first announcement. Next Sunday is Fifth Sunday. You know what that means. There's going to be food. Amen. I'll be there. AC or not, I will be there, okay? We're going to have baptisms. We're going to have a family-style worship, so your, you know, your children and and things like that will be with us, so <laughs> um, there's going to be some new members joining the church, which is awesome, and uh, we're just going to break bread together and enjoy some delicious food afterwards. Amen. And then our next announcement is the men and women's gathering. Um, the women's is August 2nd at 6.30 p.m. If you need the address, I think you could find that in the Church Center app or ask somebody who looks like they're important, they might be able to tell you. And then the men's gathering is August 4th at, does is that, is that say 6.30 as well? Same thing, if you need the address, I think you can find that on the Church Center app. Um, And then our final announcement is the DHS Supply Collection for Families in Transition. So the first Sunday of each month, we're collecting things like, um, I guess, toiletries, canned goods, things like that. And uh, we bring them here in in the the front area where the AC is at. And um, we just collect those for families in need here at DHS. It's just, a, I guess, a ministry that we have that that helps the families in need, which is really awesome. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it as far as the announcements go unless I'm wrong. Now, if you would stand with me, we will do our charge. This is what Grace Life is all about. You know, God did not save us and redeem us to just sit here and go to church every Sunday, but out there is the mission field. Amen. And we have a job to do, and uh, we have the power of the Lord with us. Amen. That's awesome. I mean, isn't he a God that is worth telling people about? He's the only God. He's the only one, you know. He's the only king. Amen. So, let's do our charge. Ready? I am a witness I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Enjoy the air conditioning in your house, hopefully.